Lesson 5 for January 23 to 29, the controversy continues. Sabbath afternoon, January 23. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you gave your people so much encouragement in the past, and that that encouragement is available for us today as we see how you led in lives in the past and look back on our own lives as to how you've led us, we just want to thank you once again that because of what Jesus did, each of us can benefit from that help that we've received in the past. As we study your word this week, we ask for your blessing and your guidance through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Our memory text this week is Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 18. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good unto me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, Let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. Nehemiah 2.18, let's read that again. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good unto me, and also of the king's word that he had spoken to me. So they said, Let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. When we compare the lives of David, Elijah, Hezekiah, Esther and Nehemiah, similar things surface. God is able to use insignificant people to turn back the tide of evil. Through some of these accounts, we can see that despite tremendous obstacles, we don't need to buckle under overwhelming evil. Instead, we can stand firm but only in the power of God, who is faithful to his covenant promises, promises fulfilled for us in Jesus. When God's people endure in his might, they will see that the forces of evil are not powerful enough to ultimately prevail. The focus and the challenge is for us to rejoice in his deliverance. This does not always make sense in the context of the overwhelming challenges that we sometimes find ourselves in, challenges that are so much bigger than ourselves. Rejoicing in God's deliverance before deliverance comes is an act of faith and worship, rather than the logical consequence of what is happening around us. On the other hand, because of what Christ has done for us, trusting in God's faithfulness is really the only logical thing we can do. Sunday, January 24. David, Goliath and Bathsheba. Life is complicated, and that's because, as humans, we are complicated. Imagine creatures made in the image of God, the creator of the universe, who then corrupt themselves. No wonder that our potential, both for good and for evil, can reach remarkable levels. And it isn't just that some people attain great levels of goodness, while others, unfortunately, drop to the extremes of depravity. Instead, both extremes can be manifested in the same person. The great news is that some who at one time were at the lowest have, by God's grace, done good things, great things for him and for humanity. Of course, the opposite can happen as well. Those at the heights can fall to the depths. 
Satan is real. The great controversy is real. And unless connected to the Lord, even the best of us can fall prey to our foe, as it says in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Question. Read 1 Samuel chapter 17 verses 43 to 51. What words came out of David's mouth that are so crucial to understanding his victory? In contrast, read 2 Samuel chapter 11 verses 1 to 17. What stark contrast do we see here in the same man? What made the difference? Well, first of all, 1 Samuel chapter 17 verses 43 to 51. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, and the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you, and will take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So it was, when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead, so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, and drew it out of its sheath, and killed him, and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. In contrast, in Second Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 to 17. It had happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Then David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. 
When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house, and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and did not go down to his house. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live, and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Wait here today also, and tomorrow I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now when David called him, he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And at evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him, that he may be struck down and die. So it was, while Joab besieged the city, that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came and fought with Joab, and some of the people of the servants of David fell, and Uriah the Hittite died also. The same David who defeated the giant Goliath is the David who was defeated by his own lust and arrogance. How many women did the man already have? And he sees one more, a married woman, and suddenly, where is all the talk about the battle is the Lord's from First Samuel 17, or that there is a God in Israel? If there were a time when David needed not only to know that the battle is the Lord's, but also to fight that battle in God's armour, it wasn't on the war zone in the Valley of Elah, but in the recess of his own heart, where in each of us the great controversy rages. Upon coming to his senses after this terrible fall with Bathsheba, David had a lifetime of grief and guilt. His sorrow led him to write Psalm 51, in which he pleads for a clean heart and the restoration of his fellowship with God. In the great cosmic struggle, mighty men are just as vulnerable as the person of the lowest rank, yet God is willing to work with all who truly repent. So to finish today, think about yourself right now, the triumphs, the disappointments, the victories, the failures. How can you apply lessons from either of these stories for whatever situation you face right now? Monday, January 25, to turn their hearts. Elijah the Tishbite has to be one of the most colourful characters in Scripture. 
we first meet him standing before a startled king and telling him there will be no rain for the next three years in 1 Kings 17. It was not easy either to approach a king or to escape from him, but this hairy man with his leather belt just slips through the guards, delivers God's message, then runs to the mountains about 12 kilometres or 7 miles away. These were sorry times for the northern kingdom of Israel. Most had forsaken the Lord God, as recorded in 1 Kings 19, and were worshipping fertility gods instead. To say that it would not rain was a direct challenge to Baal, who was thought to bring rain to ensure fertile crops and herds that made farmers wealthy. The prevailing religious rites focused on fertility and income. For the next three years, the fertility gods are impotent. Then Elijah confronts the king again and asks for a showdown between himself and all the prophets of Baal and the goddess Asherah, goddess of fertility. That's one man against 850, as recorded in 1 Kings 18. When the day arrives and the crowds gather at the top of Mount Carmel, Elijah addresses the people. How long will you falter, or limp, between two opinions, 1 Kings 18.21? Bulls are chosen and prepared for sacrifice, and the people wait to see which god is powerful enough to answer by fire from heaven. The bull was the most powerful object of the ancient fertility religions. Surely the gods of fertility would show their strength. Question Read 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 21 to 39. Despite the obvious reality of the great controversy here, what did Elijah really want to see happen in Israel, and why is that so relevant to us today? 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning at verse 21. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are four hundred and fifty men. Therefore let them give us two bulls, and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it, and I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood." but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourselves, and prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given them, and they prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning, even till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us! But there was no voice. No one answered. Then they leaped around the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them, and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god, either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves as was their custom, with knives and lances until the blood gushed out of them. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered, 
No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two seers of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood, and said, Fill your water pots with water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord is he is God. First Kings 18.37 says it all. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. The miracle, impressive enough as it was, wasn't the real issue. The issue was Israel's faithfulness to the covenant. Notice, too, who had turned their hearts. It was the Lord himself, even before the miracle itself unfolded. But God doesn't force hearts to return to him. He sends his Holy Spirit, and the people responding to that Spirit have to first make the choice to turn back to him. Only then, in his strength, can they act upon that choice. It's no different today. It's the power of God alone that sustains the beat of every heart but he doesn't force even one of those beating hearts to follow him. Tuesday, January 26, Words of Defiance Hezekiah was king of Judah when the new superpower Assyria conquered the northern kingdom of Israel and scattered its inhabitants across Mesopotamia, as recorded in 2 Kings chapter 18, 9-16, which reads, Now it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hosea, the king of Elah, king of Israel, that Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it, and at the end of three years they took it. In the sixth year of Hezekiah, that is, the ninth year of Hosea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. 
Then the king of Assyria carried Israel away captive to Assyria, and put them in Hala, and by the Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant and all that Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded, and they would neither hear nor do them. And in the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. Then Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong, turn away from me, whatever you impose on me I will pay. And the king of Assyria assessed Hezekiah, king of Judah, three hundred talents of silver and thirty talents of gold. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. From Prophets and Kings, page 292, we read, That which he could no longer do through them in the land of their fathers, he would seek to accomplish by scattering them among the heathen. His plan for the salvation of all who should choose to avail themselves of pardon through the Saviour of the human race must yet be fulfilled. And in the afflictions brought upon Israel, he was preparing the way for his glory to be revealed to the nations of earth. End of quote. A few years later, the Assyrian king Sennacherib turned his attention to Judah and captured all its fortified cities and exacted heavy tribute. Although Hezekiah emptied the temple and palace treasuries, the Assyrian king was not satisfied and sent officials to negotiate the surrender of Jerusalem. The Assyrians then taunted the people, warning that since the gods of the nations around them didn't save them from Assyria, what made the Jews think that their god would do any better? Hezekiah then did the only thing possible for them. He prayed. God had already used Isaiah to encourage Hezekiah. And we read about that in Second Kings 19.6. And Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. And now God sends the prophet to him again. Question. Read Second Kings chapter 19, verses 21 to 34, especially verses 21 and 22. What is God's message to his people amid this terrible crisis? Second Kings 19, beginning at verse 21. This is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you, laughed you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted up your eyes on high? Against the Holy One of Israel. That was verses 21 and 22. We continue now from verse 23 to 34. By your messengers we have reproached the Lord, and said, By the multitude of my chariots I have come up to the height of the mountains, to the limits of Lebanon. I will cut down its tall cedars and its choice cypress trees. I will enter the extremity of its borders, to its fruitful forest. I have dug and drunk strange water, and with the soles of my feet I have dried up all the brooks of defence. Did you not hear long ago how I made it? 
from ancient times that I formed it. Now I have brought it to pass that you should be for crushing fortified cities into heaps of ruins. Therefore their inhabitants had little power. They were dismayed and confounded. They were as the grass of the field and the green herb and the grass on the housetops and grain blighted before it is grown. But I know your dwelling place, your going out and your coming in, and your rage against me, because your rage against me and your tumult have come up to my ears. Therefore I will put my hook in your nose, and my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back by the way which you came. This shall be a sign to you. You shall eat this year such as grows of itself, and in the second year what springs from the same. Also in the third year sow and reap. Plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. And the remnant who have escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant and those who escape from Mount Zion. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and he shall not come into this city, says the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it, for my own sake, and for my servant David's sake." The outcome of all this was seen when the huge Assyrian army camped around the walls of Jerusalem. The frightened inhabitants of the besieged city arose one morning not to see the final actions of a conquering army about to rip open the defences of the besieged city, but to see soldiers lying scattered on the ground in a deathly stillness as far as the eye could see, as we read in verse 35. And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses, all dead. The disgraced Assyrian king went home only to meet his own end at the hands of two of his own sons, as recorded in Second Kings 19, verses 36 and 37. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home, and remained at Nineveh. Now it came to pass, as he was worshipping in the temple of Nishrok, his god, that his sons Adram-Melech and Sherezah struck him down with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Ararat. Then Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. So to finish today, how can we learn, even amid the most discouraging and seemingly impossible situations, to trust in the Lord? Why must we always keep the big picture in mind, especially when things don't always end, at least now, in such a positive manner? Wednesday, January 27, Death Decree 
It's so hard for us today, as no doubt it has been for people from various cultures throughout the centuries, to understand the customs and tradition of the ancient Persian Empire, where the story of Esther unfolds. One thing is certain, though. The Lord had used that empire in the process of fulfilling the covenant promises to the nation of Israel, promises that went back to Abraham. Let's have a look at some of those in... Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And Isaiah chapter 45 Verses 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him, and loose the armour of kings, to open before him the double doors, so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you, and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze, and cut the bars of iron. And Second Chronicles chapter 3. And verse 23, or chapter 36, verse 23. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May the Lord his God be with you, and let him go up. The young Jewish girl Esther found herself as queen though her ascent was through a route rather different than, for example, Joseph's in Egypt or Daniel's in Babylon, she was, as Joseph and Daniel were, just where the Lord wanted her to be, and she was used by God in a powerful way, one that illustrates how the great controversy theme can play out in history. Question. Read Esther chapter 3, verses 8 to 11. Keeping in mind what God's plans were for the Jewish people, especially in regard to the coming of the Messiah, what consequences would the success of this decree have? Esther chapter 3, verses 8 to 11. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from all other peoples, and they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed, and I will pay ten thousand talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work, to bring it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money and the people are given to you to do with them as seems good to you. Ellen White writes in Prophets and Kings, page 600 and 601, Little did the king realise the far-reaching results that would have accompanied the complete carrying out of his decree. Satan himself, the hidden instigator of the scheme, was trying to rid the earth of those who preserved the knowledge of the true God. End of quote. And from these same people too would come the Saviour of the world. 
How fascinating it is that the issue started over worship. As uh, we saw in Esther chapter 3 and verse 5, and the refusal of the distinct group of people to follow the laws and customs of the ones in power. Though, of course, the context will be different at the end of time, the reality behind it, the great controversy between Christ and Satan, is still the same. And those who seek to be faithful to God will face something as the Jews here did. We have been warned that in the closing scenes of earth's history, the decree will go out declaring that as many as will not worship the image of the beast are to be killed. Revelation 13 verse 15. The one thing we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. And so to finish today, why is it that we so often tend to be distrustful of those who are different from us? Why should the powerful truths of creation and redemption truths that reveal the worth of every human being show us just how wrong this attitude is? How can we purge our hearts of this terribly faulty tendency? Thursday, January 28, Nehemiah The story of Nehemiah also comes at a time when the nation of Israel no longer existed as a political entity, but as a remnant scattered across foreign lands. God, though, as always, would be faithful to his covenant promises, even when the people failed to live up to their end of the covenant. Question. Read Nehemiah chapter 1. What is the background of his prayer? In what ways is it reminiscent of Daniel's prayer in Daniel 9 verses 4 to 19? In both cases, what is the issue and how does this play out in the whole great controversy drama? Well, let's read Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. It came to pass in the month of Chislev, in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept, and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open, that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you, and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, 
If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. And we'll compare this with Daniel chapter 9, verses 4 to 19. And I prayed to the Lord my God, and made confession, and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him, and with those who keep his commandments, we have sinned and committed iniquity, we have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face, as it is this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off in all the countries to which you have driven them, because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, and to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us, because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us, by bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole heaven such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem." As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. Yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications, and for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations, and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of all your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. 
Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. Through the grace of the king, Nehemiah is given permission to return and rebuild in Jerusalem. On his return, Nehemiah spends the first few days looking around. He tries to survey the city by night, but the piles of rubble are so extensive that he does not get very far. So he goes outside the walls to survey them from there. Question. Read Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 16 to 18. How do you think Nehemiah convinced the leaders to start working on something they had thought impossible? What would Nehemiah teach our church today? Nehemiah 2, beginning at verse 16, And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's word that he had spoken to me. So they said, Let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. Although Nehemiah did not at first tell the leaders why he had come, there were some people who were not happy and did all they could to prevent any work from being done to improve Jerusalem. When work started on repairing the walls, these foreign officials were furious and very indignant. And they mocked the efforts. When they saw that God's people were serious about their work, they became angry and planned an attack. As we read in verses 7 and 8 of Nehemiah chapter 4. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God and because of them we set a watch against them day and night. It would have been so easy to back down, yet despite all sorts of machinations against their work, they persisted. Trusting in God, Nehemiah saw to the rebuilding of the wall and left the threats of his enemies in the hands of God. We all face obstacles. How do we know when to back down and when to keep going? Friday, January 29. No question, the Word of God, as we have studied this week, time and again, shows God's faithfulness to His people. Of course, in many cases, at the time things were happening, their faithfulness wasn't always obvious or apparent. In the accounts we looked at, we were able to see the beginning to the end. Some of the characters involved, such as Uriah the Hittite, didn't. 
Today we are ourselves immersed in the great controversy just as surely as were the people we have studied. And not only them, but there were many others just as real as the ones who made it into the text, but who didn't always live to see things work out so well. That's why it's so important for us as Christians to remember, especially when times are rough, as they so often can be, Paul's wonderful words in Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Here Paul is seeking to point out to something beyond the daily toils, foibles and weaknesses of humanity, and toward the only hope that makes life here anything more than a cruel farce. Question. What are some of the other Bible promises that point to our ultimate hope? Gather as many as you can, and either alone or in class, read them aloud and dwell on what they say. What kind of picture do they present to us? And number two. What made David's fall so tragic was that he had been so singularly blessed of God, and yet, despite all that he had been given, he still sinned the way he did. Instead of focusing just on the negative, think about the one positive aspect of his whole sordid story. God's grace, even for someone who had fallen from such heights. What does that tell us about just how full and complete the redemption that we have in Jesus really is? How can we have assurance that no matter what we have done, or how far our fall, if we, like David, repent, that forgiveness is ours? Inside Story. Our mission story this week is titled Finding True Gold, Part 1. A mayor was born in Manaus, the capital city of Brazil's Amazon region. Shortly after he was born, his parents divorced and his mother took him to Manacaparu, a town on the banks of the Amazon. Because the family business was in agriculture, Amir's mother eventually moved upriver to a small village where she bought much land. Meanwhile, Amir continued growing and was eventually drafted for military service. After serving his 15-month tour, Amir was ready for another kind of adventure, looking for gold. During the 1980s, gold fever hit Brazil and diggers flocked to where gold had been found. Amir's brother lived in one of those golden areas, so he invited Amir to come stay with him. Unbeknownst to Amir, his brother had become a Seventh-day Adventist. As they worked together, the brother began to share his faith with Amir. Just one week after he arrived, however, the government closed all the places for gold hunters, and Amir lost his job. 
Although very disappointed, Amir stayed with his brother for a time and continued to learn. He says, My brother told me about Jesus, and this gave me happiness. I lost the gold I had been looking for, but I found the truest gold. Amir's brother gave him a series of Bible studies, and before long, Amir was baptized into the Seventh-day Adventist Church. But then his conscience began to bother him. What about the rest of his family? Who would share this heavenly treasure with them? He first went to his sister, who was living in Manaus. To his surprise and delight, she too had become an Adventist. He stayed there for a year, during which time his sister further strengthened his faith. It was about this time that Amir met a young woman named Francinette, who wasn't an Adventist. Not knowing where it might lead, Amir became friends with Francinette, determined that, I will get her for God and for me. The two remained friends for a long time, and Amir was able to study the Bible with Francinette. At first she hugged the truth, and then she started to hug me too. Amir explains with a smile. Eventually, Francinette was baptised, and later on the two were married. Then, later at the invitation of Amir's mother, moved to the little village where she lived. The village needed a school teacher, and during that time, the government of the Amazon region stated that anyone who completed four years of primary education could qualify to be a teacher in the community. Amir was chosen to be the village's community teacher. Amir was a natural teacher, but he wanted to share more than just reading, writing, and arithmetic with the community. He wanted to share God's gold that he had found. This story will be continued in next week's Inside Story. This week's lesson has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired. It is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel. Remember, God is always faithful. <laughs>